So church family, would you pray with me? Let's just ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, you promised to accomplish a purpose for which you send this word, and so accomplish that in our hearts. Uh, give us joy and peace. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you have the ability to envision a better day than today? You know what we call the envisioning of a better day? It's dreaming. And maybe there are some dreamers here. You know, it's interesting that our kids can dream. It happens every time you go to the grocery store and kids say, Mommy, I want that. My world will be better if you give me that. Dreaming starts young. Dreaming continues when you're a teenager. When I was growing up, uh, I had many teenage friends who dreamed about going pro. Most of my friends wanted to go pro in basketball or baseball because they're dreamers. Those dreams continue today, and now it's no longer pro in sports, but I have heard of YouTubers. They all want to be YouTubers, like Mr. Beast. Adults don't always have uh, such a good time dreaming. Sometimes the school of hard knocks have rooted out some of their dreams. Um, however, when adults continue to dream, sometimes dreams come to fruition. I consider Steve Jobs, who dreamed that there would be a library of songs in people's pockets. And because that dream came true, our young people don't know about 8-tracks and cassettes and barely CDs. Elon Musk dreamed that uh, a, a business could be just like NASA and now has culminated into SpaceX that are doing incredible things, even better than NASA had done as far as putting rockets together at a lower cost. Whenever I talk about dreaming and a vision for a better day, it's hard not to think, though, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., yes? Is I have a dream speech. And, and maybe you remember some of these words. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And this dream seems to be going on, um, seems to have gotten a little bit better, but sometimes you wonder. But I do believe all of us right now can envision a better day than the one we're in right now. Some of you can envision what it's like to not live with the coronavirus updates of what you now have to do and flex and wear or, or go or, or proceed as we consider, again, it kind of being retracted this week as far as eating indoors and things of that matter. You can envision more normalcy. Some of you can envision a day where there's more peace and we don't worry about protests and uprisings and as we hear news from Kenosha and all that, you can envision that. Some of you can envision a better day politically where it isn't just so divided and so intense and so polarizing and demonizing based on what side you are on. More than any time, I think, it's easier to envision a better day. Do you know this place was started because of a dream? There's a dream that in the Frankfurt, New Lenox area, there would be a place where people, no matter where they were from and no matter their opinions and no matter their backgrounds and no matter their sin, they could come and they could be loved and they could find love. There was a dream that, that this place would be a place where those who had already found love are now the chief in showing love. That, that those who were strong in the Lord would now seek to serve those who might be weak in the Lord. 
A dream that this place would be a place where the weak find strength and I'll start loving and serving alike. A dream where many people with a variety of gifts and talents and perspectives come together all in seeking of worship and praise of the name of Jesus and lifting that name high. And the dream for this place was not a pastor's dream, and it wasn't even a synod's dream, and it wasn't a people's dream. It was the dream of God. Because God's dream for all his people since he resurrected and ascended was this. That we would go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And we would teach them to obey everything, not just some, of all that I've commanded you. And so compelled by that dream, the church has proceeded with mission statements and advancements and ministry plans. And and, and at this local context, we've said, we have got to, we have got to reach the lost with the love of Christ. And as we go, we're going to grow. And it's a great dream, isn't it? For people to to be disciples of the king of love. And as I consider God's dream, and then the dreams that exist here on earth, would you agree with me that when God dreams, his dreams are better? Would you agree with me that when it compares to the dreams of man, ours are trite and transitory, and his are eternal and enormous? And that's why I love gathering at this place, because if you just are are walking around in the world, and if you just gather around friends or hear the news, you're only going to have trite and transitory dreams and nothing eternal and nothing enormous. And so these are the moments we get to dream together. But we get to do it with God. And again, I want to welcome you if you're new, or or maybe you have doubts about Christianity, um, you're loved here. And um, we've been talking about uh, God's dream about the end. We've been talking about that the end could be revealed at any time and that in that dream there will be justice. Nothing um, will, will be let go. That the wrongs will be righted and the rights preserved as we talked about last week. But today, you know what we get to do? We get lost in this beautiful dream of your forever home. Do you know you have a forever home? It's not Frankfurt. You get to get lost today in not Chip and Joanna decking out your forever home, but God decking it out. And dreaming with God of what that's going to be like, not for 80 years, but for all of eternity that will so overwhelm this drop-in-the-bucket experience, and that's what we get to do today. Praise God. And so to do that, uh, we actually look at uh, a man named John and his dream. We turn to the book of Revelation, which was John's vision of not only the end, but also of heaven. And by the way, if you ever pick up the book of Revelation, can I give you some pastoral advice? Also pick up a good commentary. Uh, Even in my personal devotions, I don't read the book of Revelation without a commentary right there beside. Because this is apocalyptic language, it is figurative language many times, that has incredible meaning, uh, but maybe needs some guidance and teaching. Okay? And so I'm going to do our best to guide and teach uh, this word. Uh, It's from Revelation chapter 7. And in honor of the word of God, I'm going to invite you to please stand. And so we read, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. Can you say this with me? Let's say the yellow. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Thank you. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne. They worshiped God saying, you passed the test the first time. Can you join with me the second time? Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is that a good dream? Hmm. Can you just say out loud or to your neighbor, that dream will come true. That dream will come true. Please be seated. It's true that it's natural to group people together. And every now and then you find yourself in a group of people with common interests or a common background. And in its lightest, most tame form, it's nothing bad. For example, when we have Sunday service and before COVID we had donuts, if you're racing to get the donuts, you have uh, affinity to donuts just like I do, and so uh, we have that common interest. And so we might meet at that same table together trying to get the hot and fresh Krispy Kreme because, well, that's what draws us together. At its tamest form, groups are nothing but common interests and common backgrounds. But in its meanest form, these groups are divisive and claim to be better. I like Krispy Kreme. What do you like? Mine's better. And I consider this when it comes to high school. It seems that those in high school always have the ideal epitome of what to be and then all the other groups. And I'm not sure if you've ever felt the pressure when you're in high school or if you are in high school to be cool. I'll never forget the, the picture uh, from Mean Girls, and I'm dating myself by the movie reference. Uh, but when she goes to the cafeteria and she picks out all the groups, right? And she can see the nerds and the jocks, and she sees the goths, and she sees the band people. And, and then she comes to the table of the cool people, right? And it's kind of an exclusive group. They give off the aura, like, who are you to be even thinking of sitting at this table? Don't you know who we are? And I would love to tell you that that just happens during high school. But adults, does this meanness, does this I'm better ever really leave us? In adult fashion, sometimes it has to do with the subdivision you live in. Sometimes it has to do with the political party that you align with. Sometimes it has to do with how much money you make. Sometimes in Chicago, it's even the baseball team you're for because I've heard you can't like both the Sox and the Cubs. That's just been the rumor. And so we group ourselves and we give off the impression, well, ours is just a little bit better. And that's the way of the world. 
but it isn't the way of God. And one of the reasons it's so good to dream with him is to see once again our first takeaway that God, when he dreams, he always includes everyone. Every single person. This is the God who wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge truth. truth. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And when you get to heaven, you need to see the culmination of God's dream coming true. For for that's what we saw. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from, can you say that word, from every. And that's not just the United States, is it? You will find people from North Korea, from Iraq, from Egypt. You will find people from China and Japan. You will find people from Russia and Ukraine. You will find people of every gender and every race and every socioeconomic status and every political aversion. All of them. Every. Which reminds me of my least favorite joke. I don't know why I keep telling it, but it it proves a point that I just don't like. Um, It's when Peter is in heaven and he's showing the newbies around. Have you heard this one? He's showing the newbies around. He shows them the streets of gold, and he shows them the stones, and shows them all the wonders of the new creation. But then he gets to this this room, and he tells the newbies, shh, be very, very quiet. They think they're the only ones here. Now, that's always described as, you know, uh, either the Lutherans think they're the only ones there, or we could say the Americans think they're the only ones there. But but, but it's true that, that sometimes... When we have our blinders on, we have this idea that maybe it's just us. That God has affinity to Krispy Kreme and I'm aligned with him and we're good and everyone else is not. And that's why I need to, again, point out it is everyone. And, and here's the deal. I know that this is not a new word, but I think it is a much needed word. That God wants everyone. You know, I experienced this when I go to my father's church in Orlando. He had a chance to plant a church, and it was time of a big housing boom, just like Las Vegas. And because of that, no one was from there. They were all new. Everyone was new. Um, and, and with that, people came from many different countries. And if you go to the lobby of that church, they hang flags from the countries that people are from. And, and there's 20 flags representing all of the countries that people are from as they come together in that place to praise the Lord. That's such a beautiful picture of what the church was always supposed to be. And if that's the dream for someday, I guess the reason I dig in a little bit is maybe this is the dream that we should have for today. And maybe this is mean that if you're in high school that you walk across the lunch table Uh, and you find a new table, social distance today, and and you say hi to that group that you know maybe isn't getting treated as if they were loved like everyone. And if you're living in a subdivision, maybe it means that we walk across the driveway or across the street uh, to that person that maybe you don't know if they know they're welcome here. And maybe it means today that you can have political ideas, but you don't need to demonize and you don't need to agree, but maybe you do need to walk across an aisle and at least love and pray for because God's dream includes everyone. 
You know, I consider this as I was considering an Old Testament story. It was uh, Samuel anointing one of Jesse's sons. And, and maybe some of you know this story. Samuel went to Jesse's household, and he had seven sons. And when, when, when Samuel gets there, uh, Jesse brings out his best, which is his oldest. Because back in that day, the oldest always got kind of the, the best treatment, the best inheritance, you know. So the oldest is there, and he's tall, and he's handsome, and surely that's the one. And if you know the story, it's not the one. The, the one that everyone expected, not the one. And he goes to the second, you know, tall, and okay, maybe the second oldest. And they go through the line, and, and Samuel's kind of dumbfounded. He's like, uh, is this all you got? Is this everyone? And this is what scripture says. In 1 Samuel, it went, are these all the sons you have? And, and then Jesse has to be real. They're still the youngest, but we didn't think you wanted him. Like, so we just left him with the sheep. Like, no one wants, he's the youngest. Come on, right? Send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. And, and I wonder, who is it that might be treated like David? And where God is saying, send for that one. That one at your school, that, that one that you work with, that one in your family, go send for them. Because they're feeling left out. And they need to be brought in. And maybe it's not only for that, but maybe it's for that person if you've ever felt like that one. If you've ever felt like that one who there was a group and you're not in that group and, and everyone else was considered but you weren't considered. God says, no, I, I send for you too. And I want you to know you belong. Because God's dream includes everyone. But there's more to God's dream. And do you know that God's dream includes a dress code? I was wondering, have you ever been dress coded? I've tried to pick up the game of golf the last couple years, and I went to one golf place and uh, was not wearing um, a collared shirt and was wearing jeans, and I got dress coded. Maybe you've been to a restaurant where you needed a jacket. Maybe there's some teens where there's a dress code involved in uh, going to school. You can't wear a band t-shirt. Do you know that heaven has a dress code? So in God's dream, look at the dress code. They were wearing white robes. Now, now what does this mean, white robes? Is, is white just the, the thing we need to decorate our homes with? Well, it's trendy right now, so I guess we're on trend with God. But anyway, um, <laughs> what is the white robes? The white robes have nothing to do with fashion. They have everything to do with shame. And when we bring up shame and the topic of shame or things that we're ashamed of, it's a very heavy topic. When we think of the things that bring shame for us or shame for people, um, it, it takes the air out of the room and it almost makes you nervous and anxious. When I consider those who um, have made news for shame, uh, the one that I consider often is Lance Armstrong, um, who tried to cover up uh, taking drugs and was recently interviewed and said, the most shameful thing I feel bad about is talking about a masseuse that I just spoke against um, who uh, tried to prove that I was on drugs and I was just in self-defense mode. I attacked her. I feel shame. I think of this during uh, the Great Recession and the Madoff family. Some of you might know Mark Madoff, the son of Bernie Madoff, took his life. And he wasn't even implicated in the Ponzi scheme, but he felt such shame that it was too much. 
When I was in high school, there were kids that transferred to different schools because the shame and the gossip about them got so bad, they couldn't handle going to school anymore. Shame is heavy. And we can all relate to it at one degree or another. And I think of what's so common to do with shame. I think what's so common to do is to hide. I see this in the garden. You remember uh, Adam and Eve, they lived with God, and, and they were naked, and they were unashamed. And then once they sinned, what did they do? They hid because they knew their shame. They hid because they couldn't handle. And there's so much hiding going on today. When it comes to hiding today, you know, our, our common ways of hiding from shame is either to minimize or rationalize. And this is what I mean by that. To minimize means, yes, I know I did that, but do you know what they did? I mean, in comparison, what is what I did when, when that's going on? That's minimize. Or rationalize. I know I did that, but don't you know the story of how I got there? I mean, anyone else would do the same. I mean, all of those things just led me to do that. Rather than just own it. David talked about how it felt when he hid from his shame. In Psalm 32, he said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It is oppressive whenever we hide from shame. But David also let us know how to get past it. He said, I acknowledge though my sins with you. I faced it. I didn't hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you know how we wear white? We go to the Lord who is the forgiver of any and all sin. How we wear white, it was proved in Revelation. Look at what it says. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And if I talked about shame, I need to double down on what the blood of Jesus does. It is the pure and righteous blood of Jesus. It is the priceless blood of Jesus that can remove any stain and any shame. That when you go to the cross, you see any sin forgiven, the price paid, once and for all. And even right now, as I look into the audience, I see white. I see white. I see completely covered. You are wearing today the righteousness of Jesus Christ simply through faith. And if that is the case, you need to remove the stains from your mind. Today is the day when you walk out and you say, I'm never going to think about that thing anymore. The thing I did in the past, that thing I did today, the thing, I got no stains on me through Jesus Christ. And maybe that's the word that those who are without Christ need to hear more than anything. Maybe the reason they minimize and rationalize is because they're afraid of what it might mean and they need to know that they too can get washed in the blood of the Lamb and wear white just like we do. That is ours today. And through faith, no one can take it away. But there's more in the dreams of God as we considered again that dream 
means no shame. And to talk about more, um, when someone asks how you're doing, or if you asked how someone is doing, ha- have you ever heard anyone respond, live in the dream? Live in the dream? Um, I always get a kick out of that one, because I-, I think they're just being foolish. Um, and many times I sense it like they're being sarcastic anyway, right? Have you ever sensed some sarcasm behind that one? And, um, and, and sometimes I even pause and I say, okay, live in the dream. Uh, what kind of dream? <laughs> you know, because a nightmare is a dream. Uh, it's just not a very good one. And um, the reason I bring this up is because when, when it comes to this world, I consider a dichotomy between the dreams that God has for us and the dreams that the devil has for us. I was considering this as you look at John chapter 10. Um, there is this verse that says, The thief, the devil, here's his dream, comes only to still kill and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. And, and there's a part of me that wonders how effective is the devil right now in dreaming? Well, let me ask you, is he stealing anything? Is he destroying anything? And is he killing anything? Is the devil's dream coming true? Amen and amen. And I think of all the times that the devil works to to steal uh, maybe time through sinful distraction, to destroy uh, innocence through various activities, uh, to kill opportunities because certain things went down a certain way. And the devil, unfortunately, has some dreams for us and this world. And because of this, you have people who are living with a dream that has died. Anyone ever see the musical Les Mis? It was interesting, about uh, 10 years ago, we took our church to watch this play Les Mis, and I just thought it had, like, you know, good music and stuff. I had no idea that, I mean, it's pretty seedy in parts. <laughs> I apologize. Some are here today that went to Les Mis, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't pastorally approve every part of it. But um, anyway, uh, I remember there's this song called I Dreamed a Dream, and I want to consider with you the lyrics of I Dreamed a Dream. I dreamed a dream in times gone by when hope was high and life worth living. But it's so different from this hell that I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And I bring this up not because this is a happy thought. And I'm not doing very good if this is a motivational speech. But I bring it up because it is so true to our experience in life, isn't it? That at one point or another, you you can't live very long without having a dream that has died. Because there is a devil whose dream is to kill and to steal and to destroy. And one of the great perspectives, just the aha moments, is understanding that if your true dreams are for here and only here, you may be off. Because what God is describing in his dream is that we are the ones who have come out of and are currently in a great tribulation. That is everyone's life right now. You cannot live this life without a dream that has died. You cannot live this life without the thief who is trying to do his dream in your world. And that's why I think now more than ever, kindness matters. When we come together and how we treat people and and what we expect in the church and how we live as Christians, kindness matters. Toby Mack had this on on one of his posts. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, because everyone right now has a dream that may have just died. 
but it's not forever. Let me put my motivational speech cap on. Because Jesus still has dreams for you. Jesus in John chapter 10 also said, But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You, because you know Jesus Christ, have the right not only to life, but life to the full. And that life is experienced sometimes as we walk in the way and the will of God, and it is so good. Walking in the way and the will of God, you will have no regrets. But this life culminates in that forever place. It culminates someday in heaven. And in heaven we hear this. Never again will they hunger, and never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. I want to tell you, if right now you feel in the midst of the great tribulation, it does not last. And that someday you will be in a place where there is no more need, and there is no more pain, and there is no more hunger or thirst. All of that is removed. Because God's dream for you is a life without tribulation. Is the life that is truly life. Hallelujah, that no one can take that away. No matter what you're going through, no matter the dreams that have died, that dream will be fulfilled because of Jesus Christ. A final portion of the dream is praise. Last night you should have been here, it's so awesome. Our teens gathered and our teens were leading worship. And we had Ryan and Nolan on the piano and, and, and the drums, but, but it was so cool to see teens praising God. It was so cool to make sure that the whole body knew that they could participate in what it is to praise God. Because praise is so essential for a Christian. And that's why sometimes we, we say, everyone sing, even if you're not a singer. Because praise is so essential. Even if you sing off-key, it's fine. Because you are meant to praise. Your primary purpose is to praise. And when we get to that place... We are going to be caught in, in such a, a standpoint of praise... God's dream includes praise. It, it is there that we will have palm branches and sing that song that strength and glory and thanks and honor and praise be to God forever and ever. Because in that moment, you will have finally found someone praiseworthy. And not everything and not everyone is praiseworthy here on earth. Right now, the PGA Tour is in Olympia Fields. And you might find some PGA players, and, and you might be geeked out over uh, Dustin Johnson, or if, I don't know if Tiger's in it, but anyway, uh, certain names. But can we be honest, there's only one who's worthy of all praise. People are just people in mixed bags at that. And when you get to that place, you'll finally find a person and a concept to get lost in wonder of just complete praise and erupt in being geeked out of the majesty of someone finally worthy. That's the dream God has for you. So as we've, as we've dreamed today, a lot of those dreams can be had right now. Do you know right now you can live God's dream by loving everyone? You can live God's dream by living without shame. You can live God's dream by praising him and him alone. You can live God's dream by pursuing life by his way and his will, even though the culmination is someday out of tribulation. And so what is the action step today? 
What do we do with this information? You know, it kind of reminds me, um, growing up, uh, we had baseball cards and basketball cards, and it was um, common to trade. And my brother actually has a Michael Jordan rookie card, which is actually worth thousands of dollars right now. Uh, I never had a card that good. But if my brother would come to me and say, hey, Dustin, I want to trade you my Michael Jordan rookie for any one of your cards, and I probably have like a Shaq rookie, that's like the best I got. Um, would that be a good trade? Shaq for Jordan? Absolutely. I should take that in a heartbeat, right? And I bring this up because I, I just wonder, after just getting lost in God's dream, is it possible that he's inviting you to trade dreams? Is it possible that right now he's coming with a Michael Jordan rookie card and he's saying, don't worry, I'll take the shack? Because your dreams on earth, they might have some value, but can we be honest, many of them are tried and transitory. And he might be coming to you and saying, you want something eternal and enormous? It is when you lose yourself in my vision of the future and when you act that way right now. See, God might be in this moment trying to save you from wasted time and in this moment try to save you from wasted opportunities because many things in this world do not last, but his dream, it will, friends. And the things that he is about are eternal, friends. This trade is seen, and when he said to his disciples this word, if you find your life, here on earth, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life and make that trade, it is only then that you truly find it. And so today is a day to start dreaming again, to dream on. But to dream with God. And to seek first his righteousness and his kingdom and know that all the other things that so many people are dreaming about will be given as well. Dream with him. I know that his dreams come true.